Amen. Our children are being dismissed to Children's Church at this time, and they can go. And uh, I want to say thank you to our praise team, always, for leading us. And uh, as they are stepping down and as we're getting settled, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 1. And um, I want to say thank you, Brother Ron, for sharing those, uh, those lessons you learned from your dad. You know, um, I have a few friends, and uh, one of my friends remarked, uh, oh, we, we're, we're all really close, our families are really close, and he said, you know, it occurred to me, he said, all of us lost our dads at a young age, or lost communication with our dads at a young age, and, um, and so we all kind of had to dive into fatherhood a little bit blind, and, and there's truth to that, but there's also this, this beautiful thing that I can look back at and think about my dad, and one of the, one of the best things that I can, um, I can always think that my dad showed me, and you talk about work ethic, but I always think about like um, a pastoral heart. That is something that, uh, that uh, I know that uh, I gleaned from my dad and my mother, um, that, uh, that pastoral heart, and uh, I'm so thankful for that. Um, and then he also ta taught me patience. Everybody knows Rick Austin was just super patient. Um, <laughs> joking about that one. <laughs> I'm just joking. He's uh, uh, <laughs> There's too many stories of Rick Austin uh, you know, with this vein going up his head, you know. Um, but, uh, but we knew his pastoral heart. So uh, that was always good. No. Um, that's the thing about dads and about our relationships with our dads is there are those good things. And then there are those things that you learned the opposite. You're like, okay, maybe, maybe be a little bit more patient. But uh, thank So um, sometimes when we talk about the goodness of God and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we want to put that into all the things that we've experienced positively in this life or, or it can go against that. And, um, you know, when we think about it, we can't measure it about all of our life circumstances, ultimately. You know, whenever it says, you know, I've seen you move the mountains and do it again, and, and I trust that you can do it again, like, some of us have mountains in our lives that aren't going to be moved. Obstacles that are going to remain. And so for me, what I find helpful is, is I look at what's happened in Jesus. In Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, God has worked. He's proved to us. And he says, I'm going to bring resurrection again. I've seen you move. You've done it. You've done it in Jesus. So I believe you're going to do it again. One day... And it's not going to be because I got a big old fat 401k. It's not going to be because I was healthy and lived a, a peaceful life and was able to just go to sleep and go off into eternity. It's not because of all the circumstances of this life. But it's because of this theological truth, uh, this historical reality that Jesus Christ faced death, a horrible suffering, agonizing death. So he... He walked the road that you and I walk. 
and, uh, and he came out the other side in resurrection. And if he did it in Jesus, he's promising that he's going to do that for us. Not as an abstract metaphor and image, but in reality. He's truly, he's going to work in history again to raise us up and to restore all things. That's my hope. And that's what I look for in the goodness of God. And so this morning, let's go to the Lord with that thought process, that testimony, focused on his goodness as revealed in his son, Jesus, and the hope that we have for him to continue to be good through his son and through his spirit until the day he does it again. Uh, Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. Uh, Lord, interestingly to me, when the apostle Paul talks about your goodness in Romans chapter number two, it's to a bunch of people who have judged that you are being merciful to people that they don't think you should be merciful to. And Paul says, are you going to despise God's goodness, his mercy towards people who don't deserve it? As if any of us do. And then Paul says, don't you understand? It's the goodness of God that leads us guides us, lights the path towards our repentance. And so, Lord, might we today uh, recognize your merciful hand in this world? Might we today even take that step back and look and Lord, take that step away from that self-righteous, privileged place that says we deserve good and others don't deserve good and, and be miffed about all the good that hasn't happened. But Lord, let us take that step into that humility and just recognize where you have been merciful to us when we were undeserving of your mercy. And let us recognize that it's through your mercy, through your grace, through your goodness that we have we have been led, guided to live lives that are filled with your spirit, that follow your son Jesus, that bring honor and glory to you, that are loving to our neighbors. Lord, thank you for your goodness being revealed through the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And Lord, we look for your full goodness to be revealed again with the return of Jesus and the resurrection and the restoration that you promise. Until that time, until that time, may we endure every circumstance, every trial, every good father, every abusive father, every absent father. May we observe all of life's circumstances with the character of Christ by the power of your spirit unto the honor and the glory of our good Father, you. I pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue on in our study in the book of 1 Peter. And here in 1 Peter, we are, we are discussing this, uh, this, this concept 
that we are chosen exiles. And, and, uh, and of course, what we want to make sure as we understand is this chosenness doesn't mean chosen instead of others. You know, you're chosen and you're not, but chosen for the sake of this world, chosen for the sake of others. And so we're chosen in this way. We're chosen for the sake of this world, not, to, uh, not, not instead of others. And, and then we're exiles. We're, we're strangers. We're foreigners. We've been scattered abroad in this world. Um, we've been discussing this. Uh, primarily because uh, pastorally I know this. I know that many of us in our current culture are, many of you are, and we are finding ourselves aliens in this culture at which we were at once at home in. You're finding yourself alienated in this world. Uh, we talked about the, that, that line from No Country from old men, um, uh, that great Cormac McCarthy novel. And Cormac McCarthy died uh, just this last week and um, appreciate uh, some, of his, some of his writings. They've, they've given me a lot to think about and uh, deal with the, the, the realities of this world. But that is one of those hopeless novels. It's depressing, dreaded. And two old sheriffs are sitting there at the diner and one of them says, uh, never in my life would I think that I would see in these Texas towns, people walking down the street with green hair and, uh, and rings or, or bones in their noses. And then, uh, man, you got to think about Tommy Lee Jones saying this. And he goes, signs and wonders, signs and wonders. And that's how a lot of us feel, don't we? With everything that you hear in the news, I mean, one of the big things that I see people like really go, man, it's just signs and wonders about where we're at in this cultural moment. You're finding yourself alien in a world that you were once at home in. Now, I want us to be clear here. Not everybody has been at home in this culture that we were once at home in. I've said this before, like some of us idealize the, the 1950s and the 1960s and they go, oh, man, it's not what it once was. And, and I imagine that if you were like white middle class, that, that 1950s and 1960s does seem idyllic. But, but if you were an immigrant, if you were black, if you were a poor white, poor white, think about Appalachian white, even today, that, that wasn't idyllic. There are people who, who this, this culture that we have, this nation that we have, it's always been a little alien and a little foreign to them. And I, I would say for us as Christians, the, the thing that is, 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 is remarkable to me is, is we've had First Peter for 2,000 years, and we should have always been feeling a little alien in our, in our, in our culture, but we've, 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 we've like, it's like we made it our, our duty not to feel alien, but to feel comfortable here, to feel at home here. And, um, and I think about like, you know, it's not entirely wrong. Uh, when the exiles were sent out of uh, Jerusalem, uh, the prophet told them, you know, make yourselves at home, settle yourselves, have children. Pray for the peace of the city. Of course, he was trying to tell them, hey, settle in because it's going to be a long exile. I know the other prophets, the false prophets are saying, you know, just a few years and we're going to be right back to business as usual. And, uh, and, 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 and Jeremiah was saying, no, 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 70 years. Children are going to be born in exile. Children are not going to know their homeland. You're, you're never going to see home again because you're going to die in exile. So settle in, 
Pray for the peace of the city. Make yourselves at home a little bit. So there's, there, it's not entirely wrong that we've wanted to make ourselves at home, but it does become wrong when, 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 when we're trying to make this more home than our inheritance that is promised to us. And, and that's just something that we have to kind of wrestle with. We don't, have any, we don't have any definitive standards about that. You know, that's just part of the life of a Christian is, is kind of wrestling between these two worlds that we live in. And, uh, and, and let's just say this, we're trying to do that. We're trying to do that. But many of us right now are going, I was once at home in this place. And everything I see in the news, everything I see in our politics, everything, all, all, all these, all these uh, you know, it, just want to say, I understand. You're not wrong. You, like, I understand where you're coming from. And so here's, here's what we're going to do today when we get into 1 Peter here is, is, is we have to ask ourselves a question. For those of us who are finding ourselves alien in a culture that we once found ourselves at home in, are we willing to accept the wisdom, the instruction, uh, and the encouragement from this ancient letter. Now that's that's an interesting question to pose because you're like, well, I'm a Christian and it's in the Bible, and so why are you even asking me this question? Well, God says it, that settles it, I'm done. Oh, let's be honest with ourselves, right? Let's really be honest. We might not rip pages out of the Bible, we might not take a pin knife like Thomas Jefferson did and, and, and pick and choose, but you and I. You and I know that there are things that the Lord instructs us to do that we have a tough time with. Uh, one of the big ones that I know that we all struggle with is, hey, man, forgive people. God, I hear you saying it. I know you've done it to me. <laughs> it's all throughout your word. I, I, I actually know practically it's good. But man, I, I'm just going to be honest with you right now. What they did to me makes it really hard for me. And what we are looking at in First Peter, and I think what we're going to find, and we talked about it like last week, like we're not supposed to be the, the church, and this is, the role of the church is not to be the moral judge in this world. I know that's shocking to us, but because we think, man, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the moral judge. And, and what we mean by that is we're supposed to be calling out everybody's wrongs. But Peter, what we're going to find is Peter saying, hey, people are judging you. And through your life and through your endurance of their condemnation and their criticism and their skepticism of you, you, through your patience and your love towards them, even whenever they're judging you, you will be the light of Christ. And in fact, I would just say this, we really have to know that everybody in this world is casting moral judgment. I know most of us sit on the right and, and we look at the left and, 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 and think, man, well, we got to really call out all the things that they're doing. But do you understand everything that you get upset with from the left is because they are morally judging you. Now, we might have said, hey, we believe that, you know, some of these sexual uh, identity issues or sexual, uh, uh, yeah, uh, sexual nature issues, like that we have morals, we have a, a moral stand against this. Well, what they're saying is, hey, we have a moral stand about how you treat people who are different from you. 
We have a moral stand about, about if you're going to be racist or bigoted or if you're going to be uh, exclusive, right? That, that's the moral dilemma that we find. Is nobody's, it's not like one side is standing on true morals and the other one's not making a moral claim. We're both making moral claims at each other. And I think in the church we think we have to join in this. But what if we stand uniquely and say, hey, I'm just going to love you, respect you, honor you, be patient with you. I'm not going to try to win every argument against you. I'm not going to feel the pressure to make sure that my social media account knows exactly how I feel about every issue. What if we do that? This is, are we willing to accept that wisdom, that instruction? that encouragement this is a real question that we have to ask and so today that's the question that that I, i'm kind of posing to us is, is we who are finding ourselves alien in this culture are we going to be willing to accept the wisdom instruction and encouragement from this ancient letter i'm going to propose to you that this ancient letter should be accepted by us well, well, we're Christians, it's, you know, the inspired, authorized word of God. Well, we should accept it. Okay, okay. I, I know that that's enough for some of y'all, but that's not enough for a lot of people. And actually, some of us say that's enough, but it's not really enough. So we've got to be honest about that. So, so, so let me just show you this morning. What we're going to look at is we're going to look at some historical context about who Peter's writing to and where he's writing. Because I want us to see this. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about being chosen exiles as this spiritual metaphor that Peter is using for all Christians, and that is true. But what we're going to find out today is whenever he talks about them being strangers who are scattered, and they are all over the regions, these five regions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, what we will find is that it's not just a metaphor, it's most likely that the people that he was writing to were actually foreigners in those places. They were foreigners in those places. There's two things that we're going to look at primarily for this. For one, we know Claudius, the emperor Claudius, who reigned from AD 41 to 45 to 54, AD 41 to AD 54. During his time, he colonized cities in all five of those regions that Peter addresses. Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He, he was the emperor who was solely responsible for colonizing cities in those regions. And so we're going to talk about colonization in the Roman period a little bit. It's going to be so exciting. Y'all are on the edge of your seat, I know. Um, but uh, but he, he colonized these cities. And, and, and then also we know this, under Emperor Claudius... Jews were deported, ex exiled, or uh, expelled, if you will, from Rome. We know this because in Acts 18, chapter 1 and 2, Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila, and they were Jews. Now, a lot of times we want to say, well, they were Jews, they weren't Christians. Well, we're going to look into that a little bit because there is good reason to believe that these were largely, not just Jews, but they were largely Jewish Christians 
who were export, uh, expelled from Rome. And we need to understand this. In first century, they didn't think Christianity and Judaism were two different things. They saw Christianity as a sect of Judaism. And we know this from Acts as well. So they saw Christians just like they saw Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes. Here's another group of Jews, if you will. And so with these two points, I want to say, hey, it gives us it gives us some, some good reason to apply this letter to our lives because those people weren't just spiritual exiles. They were literal foreigners in the land that they found themselves in. And you and I aren't just spiritual exiles in America. A lot of us are finding ourselves very alienated, finding that this place that we once knew is very foreign to us now and so i want to encourage us that as we continue on we will make the choice to accept the wisdom instruction and encouragement from this letter so uh brother will if you'll bring up the first two verses we'll just uh look at this again peter an apostle of jesus christ to the strangers scattered throughout pontus galatia cappadocia asia bithynia Elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Peter is writing this letter to people who've been scattered throughout these regions. He calls them the elect, the chosen, the eclectos, not those chosen instead of others, those chosen for the sake of others. They were chosen by the foreknowledge of God. They were chosen through the sanctification of the Spirit. They were chosen for, to be obedient and to be washed or sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be unto you. Listen, hey, I'm addressing people who are finding themselves in a foreign situation now. You're not at home where you once were. I'm writing to you. Now, here's the deal. I'm addressing you. Are you going to accept what I have to say? Are you going to accept what I have to say? Hey, brother, will we bring up the map there? I want us to kind of get the idea. Um, can you all see that? It could, be, it could be better, but it's decent. I don't have a laser pointer, um, but I want you all to see at the top, Bithynia, Pontius, uh, Cappadocia, Asia over there, Galatia. Galatia is kind of a bridge between uh, the upper um, Asia Minor, um, between upper Asia Minor and lower Asia Minor. Um, what we typically know is everything that happens in lower Asia Minor. Lower Asia Minor is where we have Ephesus, where you have the seven churches that are addressed in Revelation, um, a lot of the churches that Paul went to. Um, Galatia, Paul went to the region of Galatia, but you can see the region of Galatia is just a big region. In fact, there's 129,000 square miles in Asia Minor. And if you want to be comparative, in California, there's 159,000 square miles. Um, right there, um, right where Galatia and Cappadocia are, um, there are these, uh, the Taurus Mountains, and so they make it uh, a, a little bit hard to get up to the northern, um, to, to upper Asia Minor. Um, on the very bottom, there's this, this dotted red line, um, and, uh, and it goes this way. That's a Roman road. That was the most common road that they used for commerce and for transport. And then you see some, oh, some, some, some dotted lines going up into Bithynia and one over to Pontus. And then there's an upper road uh, going right there, uh, right underneath Bithynia. Those, uh, those were uh, roads uh, provided by the Persian 
Persian Empire, and they were through mountainous regions, and they were a lot harder to traverse. So, so what we should know is Upper Asia Minor, it was kind of like this, this, this vast, it's like going up to, you know, Alaska. It's like going up to uh, areas of Canada. It was a little bit difficult to get to. It hadn't been um, colonized um, until the middle part of the uh, first century. And so it was kind of out there in a way. What we know is that there is no, there's no evidence in scripture about how this region got evangelized. Nobody knows. There's no evidence in Scripture or outside of Scripture about who went there to evangelize this region. Uh, we don't have any of the apostles going. We don't even have a, a history of tradition through the church about how it was evangelized. So when scholars go to look at the book of First Peter, they go, okay, how did this happen? How did, how did we get there? Well, uh, when we look historically and we go, hey, what we do know happened in the middle of the first century is Claudius colonized cities throughout Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, Asia, and Cappadocia, then we can go, okay, he colonized cities. What happens whenever you colonize somebody? Well, here's how you would colonize. Um, in, involved in uh, colonizing or populating these cities, Rome would send at least 300 colonists who had social and political loyalties to Rome, but there is a record of sending at least 6,000 in one place. So there would be people who would volunteer to be colonists. The poor would see it as a socioeconomic uh, opportunity. Think about people immigrating into the United States. Why do they come into the United States? Because there's socioeconomic opportunities. Slaves might be freed or be offered freedom and granted Roman citizenship if they joined up and they served as colonists. Residents would freely offer to colonize as it offered them homesteading land and their family potential to rise to the social elite status within a generation or two. So think about westward expansion. Why would people leave the east and go, well, we can get a plot of land. We can make our, stake our claim. If the colony was of military value, the emperor would populate it with veterans of the Roman army. So this is how they would colonize is they would send people who, who had loyalties to Roman politics or Roman culture, and they would send them over there. And so there was people who would freely want to colonize because it provided the opportunity for them. And so these people would have come from Rome, and they would have been sent over here to Asia Minor, Upper Asia Minor. And, uh, and, 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 and I'm not going to bore you all, but I can, I can if you all want me to, I can list the names of all the cities that Claudius. Do you all want me to do that? I will tell you all this. They all have his name in them. So, uh, so in Pontus, uh, he conferred the status of a Roman colony on the old settlement of Andropa. Exciting. Um, which then took the name of Neo-Claudiopolis. Neo-Claudiopolis. And uh, here's another fun name. Uh, he took the, uh, the, the, old, the ancient city of Iconium, and it took the name Claudia Iconium. Very, very clever. Uh, wanted to make sure who, who was involved in that. So you had this colonization program coming, but here's another thing about colonization in a way that they would colonize these ancient cities. It was not uncommon for the emperor or senate to deport a group of people viewed to be troublemakers in Rome so that they could colonize a newly acquired territory. As I said earlier in Acts 18, chapters, uh, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, we meet Priscilla and Aquila, who Paul finds uh, affinity with because they're both tent makers. And they had been, um, uh, uh, Aquila was actually from Pontus, but he was in Corinth. He meets them in Corinth, and he says they had 
they were there because Claudius had deported Jews out of Rome. Now, why did Claudius, why would they deport Jews out of Rome? Well, um, there's a lot of reasons why they would deport people. Uh, they would, if, if, it, if, if there was a famine in the land, they would, they would deport people because, hey, we have to get the city, we have to get people out of the city, you know, it's going to hurt our city. Um, but um, if people were disruptors to the Pax Romana, Roman peace, they would be deported. If people were religious disruptors, they would be deported. Now, Rome was pretty tolerant of other religions because they were taking new territories and they, and, and they had this tolerance towards other religions. They weren't just coming in and saying, hey, here's all the Roman gods. Get rid of all your pantheon of gods. They're like, okay, hey, we're going to have our gods. You can have your gods. But here's what Rome, this was the cardinal point of their policy. Their cardinal point was to grant hospitality to foreign religions, but to consider them a menace the moment they took advantage of that courtesy to disturb public peace or to offend accepted morals or engage in converting native Romans to their religion. Now, this might pose a problem for people who begin to trust in the way of Jesus and have this commission that says, go into the whole world and make disciples of Jesus of all nations those people would be seen as disruptors because they are violating one of the cardinal points of this Roman tolerance. In fact, the um, Roman historian Suetinius offers this. He says, this is the reason why Claudius deported the Jews from Rome. He said, since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he, Claudius, expelled them from Rome. Nobody knows who this Crestus fellow is, but what we know from ancient Roman graffiti, which was mocking Christians, they often didn't say Christos, but they said Crestus in their graffiti. It's not definitive. Scholars are up in the air about this, but it gives us reason to suspect that amongst the Jews, there was disturbances between those who trusted in Jesus and those who did not. Now, let's just remember, what is the occasion for Paul writing the letter of Romans? He's writing to Jewish and Gentile believers who are at odds with one another, who can't seem to go, they all believe in Jesus, but, but you have the old stock Jews saying, you all have to follow the law. That's how you get there. And you have Paul saying, no, no, this grace has been offered to everybody. You don't have to become a Jew to experience the grace and the benefits of God and his love and his mercy and his salvation. And so we could understand that in the first century, in the middle of the first century, as the gospel made its way to Rome, that these Jews were making disturbances of this fella, Christos, Christos which we could understand to be Christos. Paul meets some of these people who were deported from Rome in Corinth, but some of these people likely ended up in Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Galatia, Pontus, where they were foreigners in this land. Now, one other little thing that I just want to say is 
Now, now not only are they exiled and they're foreigners, they were exiled because they were considered foreigners. They were disrupting Romans, Roman peace. But now they come to a new place where they're foreigners and they're disruptors to their way of life. Now they're bringing in new culture, new customs of Rome. Now, now people are, are suspicious of them. Hey, you're going to take our jobs. You're going to take our money. You're going to take our opportunity. So let me just have us think about it like this. America is this nation that is built on immigrants. Some of us don't remember it, but like generations before you and I were here, our, our parents immigrated. Uh, Brother Bruno, he's a, uh, his parents immigrated here whenever he was a boy. Right? I think about, I think about like the plight of an immigrant coming into America. They are coming here for the opportunity, for the advantages. Maybe not even for them. So many immigrants come in. Like there's doctors who, who leave their country and they have, they, they have whatever opportunity they have in their country as doctors. They come here and they're janitors and they're cab drivers in America so that their children can get the best education, so that their children can have opportunity. It's amazing. But you know that they come here and, 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 and the culture, they, they are just lost. That's why you find these communities where these immigrants come together. You know, you, we have Chinatown over and um, down off Bel Air, right? Uh, you know, and, uh, and Westheimer, uh, not Westheimer, uh, but over there on the uh, uh, west side of the city, right? Uh, um, you, there's a bunch of Russian and Ukrainian and Eastern European people who, who, who find themselves living together. You know, you find Latinos living together. Right? It makes sense because they're looking for community. They're looking for a place to belong. And so Peter is writing to people who have found themselves, whether by choice or by force, foreigners in a strange land. And he wants to tell them, hey, not only are you literally foreigners in a strange land, but do your new birth in Christ. Because you've been chosen of God, because you've been chosen uh, unto or, or by the Spirit unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ, you are actually foreigners in this place, wherever you might find yourself. You're always going to be in foreign territory. And so my brothers and my sisters, I believe if we can put not just a spiritual metaphorical understanding of chosen exile, but we can actually go, hey, literally, practically, these people were foreigners. They were immigrants, colonizers. They found themselves in a new place. I believe if we can see that, we can go, oh, so then what Peter has to say will actually apply to me, who is looking around at my America, my culture, and going, I, I'm not, I don't know where I live anymore. Never would have I thought in these Texas towns, signs and wonders. Right? And I feel so, I feel so disenfranchised. And that's what I hear from most, from most white evangelicals today. It's for the first time in a long time they're feeling disenfranchised in this world. And I just want us to say, hey, we have a letter in Scripture that addresses us when we feel disenfranchised. And actually this letter teaches us as, as those who've been born and born through the spirit and bought by the blood of the lamb 
you're never not going to be disenfranchised. And what we're going to find throughout this letter, if we choose to accept its wisdom, instruction, and its encouragement, is that it gives us a way to live in this world, to wrestle with this, I'm, I'm living here, I'm settled here, my, my, my job is here, I, I go to the market here, my kids are raised here, they're making friends here, right? It gives us a way to, to wrestle with this fact that we live here, but, but our hope is not here. See, one of the things that's interesting is not all colonizers would be granted citizenship, but that was a big deal to be granted citizenship in Rome. And if you were a citizen of Rome, you, were, you, you, you had rights and privileges. It's just like becoming an American citizen. You have special rights and privileges. You want that. One of my best friends came over from the UK. And uh, last year, was it last year? He became an American citizen. It was kind of like a sobering moment for him. But here's what Peter wants to remind those people who find themselves foreigners in a strange land, literally and spiritually, is you have an inheritance that far exceeds what citizenship in Rome can provide you. The opportunities through that says you have an inheritance and we're going to get into this as we move on that will not be corrupted will not fade will not lose value will not lose worth it is kept protected for you by God and so let's keep our eyes on our on that prize right and if we can do that, then we can find ourselves as chosen exiles feeling alienated in a culture that we once felt at home. And we can hear the wisdom and the instruction that Peter has to offer, the pastoral wisdom and instruction and encouragement that Peter has to offer, and we will receive it and apply it to our lives. I think if we do, we will stand out. And like I said last week, we will stand out like foreigners. We will look different, but not some of us to ostracization, to being outcast, uh, to being left out, <laughs> ostracized. <laughs> Brilliant. A beautiful mind at work here, folks. But really, here's, and here's the hope because we are chosen for the sake of this world, if we can look different, if we can look different in this culture where everybody is trying to do the same thing, be the louder voice condemning the other side, if we can look different than that, oh my goodness, people might go, I want to know what you have, and that's what Peter says. You be ready to give an answer when people ask of you the hope that lies within you. So we can, might be outcast, but there's going to be people who go, why? Why are you so different? It's a refreshing. I, I like it. 
<laughs> You're not angry and raging like they are on the news every night. You suffer with patience and with kindness and with hospitality. You're not, you're, not, you're not calling names at everybody like they are. Oh, what is this? Who are you? Well, I'm a follower of the man Jesus Christ, who I never saw bully anybody and call them names and just shout harsh condemnation. He might have corrected people, but he did so in love. What I really see is he tried to bring everybody to the table. So that they can know that in him and through the washing and the renewing that is in him through his blood and through his spirit, they could have an inheritance that's beyond this place. And so my brothers, my sisters, will you be willing to accept the wisdom and instruction and encouragement from this letter? I hope so. But I guess what we will have to say is time will tell, won't it? With that, I say, amen. amen. But join me in a word of prayer. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. Uh, God, here's what I realize. I realize this. We do have a, an inheritance that's incorruptible, that fades out away. It's reserved in heaven for us. But Lord, we can't see it. It's not before our face. And, and really, sometimes all we can see is that which is right before our face. We're kind of myopic that way. We're nearsighted that way as, as we learn in Scripture. We can't see afar off. So, Lord, here's what we ask, is that your Spirit would grant us eyes to see that which we cannot see. Your Spirit would fill us with hope. Even as we talked about before, like, look, Lord, we're looking for your goodness, not just for your goodness for today. Look, we're looking for the goodness, the good promise that we have in you to be fulfilled. Give us eyes, hearts, minds that long. As Paul said, you know, like I strive for the prize of the high calling. Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, help us to be willing to accept the wisdom, instruction, encouragement that your spirit inspired Peter with so many years ago. Help us to fi find it relevant to our contemporary moment. Uh, Lord, fill us with the energy, the ability to endure patiently, to endure lovingly, to endure kindly, to endure generously all the heartaches and hardships, all the criticisms and all the critiques, uh, all the condemnation, ridicule, and judgment. Lord, help us to endure, and like your son Jesus, who was reviled but did not revile. Help us, fill us, so that we can bear all these things in the character of Christ. Uh, or as we would say, we would em uh, endure them in the will of God, which by carrying the character of Christ. 
pray your blessings over us today. Just before I close our prayer, I just want you to go to the Lord. And I want you to deal with that question. Are you going to be willing to accept the wisdom, instruction, encouragement from 1 Peter? Are you going to be open? Will you have ears to hear? If you are, say, Lord, I'm ready. If you go, Lord, I, I, I want to be ready, but I don't know that I'm there. Oh, make me ready. Maybe you go, I have my doubts. Be honest with it. <laughs> but just talk to God for a moment. Just say, Lord, what, what, are you willing? Are you willing to accept what God has provided for us? are willing, Lord, uh, work in that. Where we are not willing, make us willing. Lord, I pray and I ask you would hear this prayer in Christ's name. All my brothers and sisters said,